Father, we do pray that you are glorified in what uh, we do and uh, glorified in your word going out, glorified in our response. And I pray as we do come to your word right now that you would help us understand your will for us and that uh, we would be able to discern where we stand in light of what you desire for us and that you would by your spirit enable us to um, then accomplish your will so that you would be glorified. Lord, we ask you to bless your word as it goes out. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many people may, on the outside, appear to be doing God's will. Uh, There's no sin. They're serving him. Uh, It appears that maybe they're following the Lord. Now, we can't see the heart, um, but sometimes there are people who may be able to do things on the outside, but yet on the inside, something is drastically wrong. Remember what God said to Samuel concerning his rejection of Saul. He said, do not look at the appearance or height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for a man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And speaking of the heart, today we're going to look at uh, the first part of our basic commands for Christians. We've, we've seen basic commands for uh, the church and how we treat our leaders, how we treat each other. And now we're looking at basic commands for the Christian. And within this today, we're going to see what God's will is for our inner life. So no matter what's going on the outside, if this isn't going on the inside, the outside is not genuine, by the way. And so we need to see what is God's will for our inner life. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 18. And we are rapidly coming to the end of this book, so be praying about what we will do next. Pray the Lord will lead us to what he would want us to do together. Now, we've been looking at the changed lives of the Thessalonians. They were changed by Jesus Christ. They turned to God from idols. And Paul is writing this church of less than one year old in the faith, and he has been orphaned from them, and he has learned through Timothy about their spiritual condition, and he has responded in thankfulness and joy because they are trusting the Lord and they are loving one another, and they do still love the Apostle Paul. And so after sharing his thankfulness for their salvation he uh, and defending the manner in which he came to them, uh, he then shares his thankfulness for their response to the word of God, the word of God through, and then his concerns also, their response to his concerns concerning their faith that he brought through Timothy. And then we came to the more the application section of this book in chapter 4 where the Apostle Paul begins to shift gears to exhort these Thessalonians in their walk and how to please God in their walk with Jesus Christ. And we saw that they and we are to live a life that excels in Christ. And we saw, first of all, it was God's will for them to abstain from sexual immorality. They were to excel in purity. And they were also to excel in love of the brethren and excel in hope, in future hope. And all of that is done through the instruction that God gives that we would respond and obey by his power and strength, that he would be glorified in those areas. In the context of hope, he reminded them of the reality of Christ's imminent coming and what happened to those who had passed away. That those who had passed away, they're with the Lord. But uh, when the Lord comes, we will not precede them because he will bring them with him and he will raise their bodies. They will be changed and glorified. And then we who are alive and remain will be changed also. And we will meet each other in the air. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. To be comforted with the word of God concerning what Christ is doing. See, the Thessalonians were concerned. Maybe they had missed the coming of Christ. That they may have gone into uh, the day of the Lord. And he goes in chapter 5 to explain, hey, the day of the Lord is, you're not in it. It, But yes, it will come like a thief in the night. And it will come as sudden destruction upon, we see, the ungodly. But we are not destined for wrath, but for salvation in Jesus Christ. And then, as I mentioned, he came to the practical section where we have 22 commands. The first commands for how we are to treat our leaders. 
We are to treat those who lead righteously, those who, 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 who work hard, who, who uh, have charge over you, who admonish you. We're to uh, uh, get to know them, to appreciate them. We're to hold them in very high esteem because of their work. And we are to live at peace with one another. And then we saw how we were to treat each other the last time we were together. We are all commanded to admonish the unruly. Those who are out of step in their walk with Jesus Christ, we are to admonish. The word means warn. We're to do so. And we are also to uh, encourage the discouraged. We're to come alongside and comfort those who are discouraged. And encouraging, obviously, and admonishing is all in the context of sharing the truth of God. And we saw that very thing in these Thessalonians being encouraged by where their loved ones are. They're with the Lord and that they're not going to go through judgment. But we are also to help the weak, those who are weak. We are to hold up the weak, that they would trust Christ, that they would walk with him, that Christ would be glorified. And that we are to not return evil for evil, because sometimes when you come along to help someone, they may get upset, and that happens. And we're not to return evil for evil, but we are to be patient, as we see. And now we come to a section in which we begin some very short, uh, succinct commands. But these commands are very clear and they're very easy to understand, but yet sometimes we don't really fully grasp the depth of what God is saying. So then, we come to our passage, and this is something we should remember. If you want to start memorizing Scripture, that you can memorize three verses really quick here. Three verses. They're short verses. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We're going to see this is God's will for our inner life. For our inner life. And if this is not happening, as we'll see, then the outside is really a facade. It's not genuine. It's a facade. This should be happening in our lives. This is God's will for us god's will for us so he begins sharing these commands and they are all interrelated notice he says rejoice always pray without ceasing and everything give thanks and he says four and that four points to these three commands four it's an explanation this is god's will for you in christ jesus so as we begin let's take a look at the first command paul states rejoice always now this is an imperative command god is saying do this to believers do this rejoice always and the command speaks of a continual rejoicing the term always means at all times now we'll talk about this how does that work when we're sad how does that work when we're when we're uh, uh concerned about things how does that work how can we rejoice at all times and notice, uh, I've translated it this way, but this is in the original language. It says literally this. They don't put the pronouns in, but they are in there. You all, plural, keep on rejoicing at all times. That's what it says. If you were to hear this in Greek, you would hear you all. It's everyone. You, plural. Keep rejoicing. You would hear that at all times. He is speaking to the group of... Uh, Thessalonian believers that he has written this letter to. Brothers and sisters in the faith, those who have been convicted by the powerful gospel and have turned to God from idols, having responded to the truth concerning Jesus Christ, they were saved by faith and that faith was broadcast throughout the entire region. They are true believers. You all, and the same thing for us, you all, true believers, this is what God is saying. He's saying continually be rejoicing at all times. The term translated or the verb translated you all rejoice speaks of being glad, being delighted, being glad, being delighted. Now, is this joy simply happiness? Well, the world is happy when things go well, but is that true joy? No, it's not. We're going to see the rejoicing spoken of here is an inner joy or gladness or delight of heart. And it is obviously not circumstantially driven because he wouldn't say at all times. At all times. Obviously, circumstances then do not drive it if we are to rejoice at all times. 
Now, does this mean we walk around with a continual smile and never sorrow, grieve, or cry, no matter what happens? That we uh, have, a, have a kick in our step, no matter what happens in our lives? Well, the reality is we're going to see that even in the midst of the most difficult situations, where we may even grieve over them, yet not as the world who has no hope, in the most difficult situations where we may groan in a sense over the reality that we're still in these bodies of flesh awaiting our glorification, in the most difficult situations of persecution and trials, that we can still, and are to, always rejoice. Always rejoice. Now we're going to see, he's not going to say just the same thing with prayer, not rejoice in everything particularly, but rejoicing in some specifics about those things and what God is doing and who God is. So how can we possibly do this? How can we possibly rejoice? You and I both know you cannot muster up joy. You know, happiness is an emotion that comes on you when things happen. There's even joy at times when good things happen, we get joyful. But how can you muster up joy? Well, the reality is we cannot. We cannot muster up joy. So God commands us to do something we can't do. And that is the same for every one of his commands. Everything he commands you to do, you cannot do apart from him doing it through you. The reality is, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So we are going to recognize, we need to recognize that it's in the context of abiding in Jesus Christ, trusting in him, and things changing in our minds and hearts that we are then able to rejoice always. Now, first, we need to recognize what is the source and sphere in which we rejoice. Well, first of all, the source, it is obviously supernatural and not natural. It's obviously supernatural and not natural. The scriptures are clear that biblical joy does not originate in man, as we will see. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells the Galatians in Galatians 5.22, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It is something that is produced when abiding in Christ by His Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of walking by the Spirit and not walking in the flesh. Biblical joy is produced by the Holy Spirit in the heart that is yielded and allowing that same Spirit to illumine God's truth that we might have a different perspective and thus be able to rejoice. You see, when we walk by the Spirit, yielded to Him rather than ourselves, if we allow Him to renew our minds with His Word, we will experience the fruit of that union, that relationship with the Lord. It's Jesus in us, as you'll see, His Spirit in us. We experience the, the fruit of that, which is genuine joy. And how is it the Spirit works in our lives? Very clearly, the Spirit takes the Word of God and sets us apart. Later on in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul would say this to the same group of believers. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Believing the truth Believing in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Believing his truth that he brings forth. Trusting in him. His spirit changing us, sanctifying us. And it is when his truth is made manifest by his spirit in our minds, we believe it and abide in Christ and obey. We will experience the fruit of that relationship, which is joy. And I'll talk more about that. And actually, let's talk more about that right now. Turn to John 15. Because we're going to see that it is not our joy, it is His joy in us. It is His joy. It's the joy of the Lord, as we're going to see. John chapter 15, but there are some things that need to be done for us to experience a genuine walk with the Lord and thus His joy. John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, and this is on the night that he was betrayed and the night that he would uh, go, get uh, arrested and go to the cross. He's giving final instructions to his disciples. So this is really important. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it 
that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean. Now, that goes back to chapter 13. Clean is because of the word spoken. They're believers. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Very important. The word abide means to rest. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. There needs to be a connection, and in that connection it's just simply resting. That's all it's doing. And so he says here, uh, unless it abides in the vine, so neither you unless you abide in me. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in Christ. We cannot see the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives unless we are abiding in Christ. It's just not going to happen. Now, abiding implies trust. It implies trust. It implies reliance. It implies dependence. It implies a lack of self-sufficiency. Abiding in Jesus Christ. And he says here, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He says, he, he, he says, uh, he abides in me and I in him, bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he says here, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned you're not abiding maybe something's very very wrong and you're on your way to the fire and so he says here if you abide in me and then notice what he says he adds to this if you abide in me and my words in you so we rest in jesus and his word rests in us we need to get his word resting in our hearts staying with us resting abiding with us where his word is working in our hearts and minds. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you, whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. So we're abiding in his relationship with him. We're lying in him, trusting in him, abiding in his love. And then notice what he says. If you keep my commandments. So we got three things now. Abiding in Jesus, resting in him. We got his word resting in us. And then we're abiding in his love. He talks about love as keeping his word. Abide in his love. He says, if you keep my commandments, or excuse me, so just as the Father is loving, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. There you go. Now it's talking about obedience in the context of a love relationship with Jesus. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice what he says now. These things, what has he just spoken of? Resting in him, his word resting in us, us abiding in his love and thus obeying him. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. If those things are happening, you're going to experience joy. If those things are not happening, you are not going to experience this joy. It's that simple. These things I have written, he says here, and spoken to you, not written, but spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. That's the key. That's the key. Now, we're going to see what he means. We've got to know what needs to be resting in our heart. What words does he want resting in our hearts? But it's quite clear that there are three things that need to happen to be walking rightly with the Lord. Three things. We are resting in him. We're trusting in Jesus. His word is resting in us. We are putting it in our hearts. We are allowing it to stay on our minds. And then we are abiding, resting in his love as we love one another by obeying his word. So sometimes you've got people who are trusting Jesus. Sometimes you've got people who are trusting and they're actually uh, got his word in their hearts, but they're not obeying. Guess what? No joy. No joy. It's one of the terms they use in uh, aviation when you can't hear somebody. No joy. I don't know why they use it, but that's why they use it. There's no communication. The relationship is not working. No joy. 
So we need to trust the Lord. We need to trust the Lord and allow his word to rely, to rest in us. And within that, we need to be obeying the Lord, abiding in his love. His commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. So then we have the reality of how God takes his joy and makes it full in us. But there's more to it. There's more to it because we need to understand what uh, is that we rejoice in. The sphere of our rejoicing is in the context of a right relationship with Jesus. Those three things I just talked about. That's the sphere in which it is manifest. Now, the context of our rejoicing is actually uh, concerning the realities of Christ and what he has done for us. Indeed, in Philippians 3.1, we are to rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. The sphere of our, our joy is a walk with Jesus Christ, a reliance on him. But the source, well, and the source is the spirit of God. But the focus of our rejoicing is actually on the Lord Jesus Christ himself and all that he has done. Rejoice in the Lord. He is the focus and source of our joy. It comes through the process of a relationship with him, as I have shared. And his spirit will produce joy in our hearts when we are abiding and his word is abiding in us and we are obeying him. So then, Jesus is the sphere and source of our joy by his spirit. But as we're going to see, joy comes in the context of having certain things abide in our hearts regarding Jesus. You see, we need to be thinking of certain things or we will not be joyful. We are to rejoice in the Lord. When you have a relationship and it is, there are good things happening, there's a relationship, you understand, you rejoice in what happens with that person, the things of that person. We rejoice in relationships, and here we have a relationship with the living God. Now let me share some passages about joy, because it reveals that we rejoice in God himself and in his character and what he has done. When we rejoice in the Lord, we are allowing his word to abide in us about who he is and what he has done for us. And if we're resting in him and obeying him, we're going to rejoice. We're going to rejoice. We can obey that command at that point. Uh, let's go to the Psalms. I want to share a few Psalms. Start at Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 16:11. Thou wilt make known to me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now, skip back to Psalm 5 and while you do that, I want to read Nehemiah 8:10. Nehemiah tells him, "Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength." It's going to strengthen you. His joy in us that we experience. Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all who do what? Take refuge in thee be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And mayest thou shelter them that those, that those who love thy name will exult in thee. For it is thou who dost bless the righteous man and thou dost surround him with favor as a shield. Psalm 32, verse 10. Psalm 32, verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Psalm 40, verse 16, 16. Let all who seek thee rejoice. Let all who seek the Lord rejoice. So if you're not abiding in him, you're not seeking him. If you're not his word is in your heart, you're not seeking him. If you're not obeying him, you're not seeking him. Let all who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let those who love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. You see, if his word's abiding in you, his word is about him and what he's done for us and how much he loves us. 
Let him be magnified, the God of our salvation. Psalm uh, 43, verse uh, 3. Oh, send out thy light and thy truth and let them lead me. And that's a great prayer. Uh, let them bring me to, the holy, to thy holy hill, to thy dwelling places, and I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. You see, when you are abiding in Jesus Christ and sin has been vanquished through confession, you are going to have joy. And when you sin and you confess it, you're going to have joy because you're restored and right with the Lord. God, my exceeding joy. Psalm 60, verse 5, Come and see the works of God, who is awesome in his deeds towards the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land, then he passed through the river by foot. Then let us rejoice in him. Psalm 71, 23, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to thee and my soul, which thou hast redeemed. We've been saved by his grace. We are forgiven. Psalm 89, verse 13, Thou hast a strong arm. Thy hand is mighty. Thy right hand is exalted. Righteousness and justice are at the foundation, are the foundation of thy throne. Loving kindness and truth go before us. Thinking about his character. It's abiding in his word. It's abiding in him. He says here, How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of thy countenance. And in thy name they rejoice all the day. All day long. You see, if you look at Jesus and what he's done for you and who he is and he's opened up a relationship with you, you see what he's done through his word and that's abiding in your heart, you're obeying him, you're going to rejoice. You're going to rejoice. We rejoice in the very person of Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. And we rejoice in the Lord in terms of what he has done for us. We rejoice in our new birth, our salvation. Psalm 95.1, let us sing for joy, let us out joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 118.24, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and it be glad. That's speaking of salvation, by the way, that's the context of Psalm 118. Let us rejoice and be glad. This is the day we've been saved by Jesus. Let us rejoice and be glad. He's no longer holding our sins. He has paid the price for them, holding us accountable for our sins. He has paid the price for them. The price for them. 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last, uh, last time. In this you greatly rejoice. If you're not rejoicing of your salvation, maybe you don't have a salvation to rejoice about. Or sin has really gotten in the way. Because if you recognize how sinful we are and the destiny that we had from a holy God and you recognize what he did by sending his son Jesus to die for our sins, loving us so much, he took on human flesh and died for us. He bore our sins on the cross and he died and rose from the dead. You're going to rejoice. You're going to thank him. You're going to praise him. It's interesting. The Lord Jesus rebukes his disciples in Luke chapter 10. He had given them power to go out and, and demons were under their control in a sense. And he gave them power. And notice what he says to them concerning their joy. He corrects them regarding their joy. Because we can be rejoicing over the wrong things at times. Look at uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, look at this, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Rejoice your names are recorded in heaven. Rejoice. Rejoice. That you've been saved. You've been saved. 
And you know what? Not only do we rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ, we rejoice in what He has done, we rejoice in what He is doing, even in the difficulties of this life. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you would be complete and lacking in nothing. James chapter 1. To the degree we share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. It's an evidence of our true relationship with Him. We see that in 1 Peter 4. We're to rejoice when we've been persecuted for righteousness' sake, for, for trusting in Him. Jesus says, Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil on account of me. Not account of your sin, but account of Him. He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. We rejoice in Jesus Christ. We rejoice in what he has done for us. We rejoice in what he is doing. And we rejoice in what he will do. There's joy if you are truly focusing on those things. The Spirit of God will produce joy in your heart. And that, and then you wonder, am I a believer if I haven't had joy? If you're a true believer, you will have joy. But what extinguishes that joy? It's sin. Sin extinguishes it immediately. If you are not joyful, I guarantee there is sin in your life that is not dealt with. I guarantee it. Get to the root of it, rip it out by confessing it, and praise the Lord that he has forgiven you. He has forgiven you. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we rejoice at his word also. Psalm 119, 162, I rejoice at thy word as one who finds great spoil, because his word reveals him. Reveals the truths of our great God. Our great God. Now the reality is, we don't rejoice in sin, right? If it says rejoice always, or in a sense, we don't rejoice if, if I sin. Praise the Lord, I sin. No, we rejoice in the fact that he has forgiven us of our sin. We don't rejoice in evil happening. We rejoice that God turns evil to good. We rejoice in what God is doing, what we know he's doing. We rejoice in him. You see, joy is a fruit of a right relationship with Jesus. That's why when your heart is right, you're going to praise God, you're going to have joy. You're going to have joy. You're going to praise God and have joy. So the command is keep on rejoicing at all times. The implication is keep doing it. Keep doing it, believers. Now, if you're not joyful, one of the one or more, all of those things I mentioned earlier are missing in your life. First of all, it could be because you don't know the Lord. You can't have, you can't abide in Jesus if you don't have a relationship with Him. Trust the Lord, be saved, and He'll give you joy. But maybe you've allowed sin to creep in. You're not abiding, you're not trusting in Him. Situations, you're relying on your understanding, you're worried about them, concerned, rather than trusting in Jesus Christ. Maybe his word is not resting and abiding in your heart because everything else is in there. Push it out and allow God's word to abide in there. And maybe you are trusting him. Maybe you do have his word, but you're not joyful. Maybe you're not obeying him. There's an area in your life that you are not obeying. Because he says, if you do these things in this context, a real relationship with him, abiding in Jesus, it's so that his joy would be made full in you. Remember what David said? He understood that his consequences in his life were because of his sin. He understood it, and he asked God to restore the joy of his salvation. Turn to Psalm 51. You see, because if you're being spanked by God and you're not responding, now if you respond, indication that you respond, you're going to have joy, by the way. But you're going to rejoice. Look at the Corinthians. When, when they had a worldly, worldly sorrow leads to death, godly sorrow leads to repentance, and there's joy. There's joy. Psalm 51, this is after David's terrible sins, after having been convicted of it and actually responded in repenting. He says in verse 8, Make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, blot out my iniquities, create in me a clean heart. How many times have you prayed that? Clean my heart out, Lord God. He's confessed his sin, by the way, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me away from thy presence. Do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Sin removes joy. Confession and forgiveness restores it. Restores it. So sadly, many people are not grounded in the character of Christ are not willing to look at the great spoil and the, and the, and the wealth of his word to, to have joy looking at Christ. Where do we rejoice always? And when we obey, we're going to have joy. Psalm 32.10 again, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, you who are upright in heart. Rejoice always. You know, there are sad things that happen. There are difficult things that happen. But when we see them in the perspective of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we see them in the perspective of his forgiveness of us. We see them in the perspective of what he is doing. We see them in the perspective that he's going to make things right. We have joy. We have joy because our eyes are no longer on us. They're on him as we abide in him. So that's the first of the three interrelated commands. But notice there's more. Verse 16, rejoice, back in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always. Second command, verse 17, pray without ceasing. Now again, it is a Greek verb, it's you all continually, habitually pray uh, unceasingly. Pray without ceasing. means continually, continually. This is God's will for our inner life. Joy, because we're walking with the Lord. We're right with Him. Prayer, as we'll see, which indicates a dependence on Him. Pray without ceasing. You all. And prayer is simply communication with the living God. God communicates with us through His Word. We communicate with Him in prayer. We have the privilege of bringing our prayers before the throne of grace. We have the privilege because Jesus Christ has blotted out our sins. He has saved us from our sins. Our sins have been blotted out. We can go before God now because we are righteous in Jesus. So we are to pray all the time. What does that mean? How can we be here if we're we're praying all the time? How can I be preaching if I'm praying to pray all the time? What does he mean by that? Does he mean we are to be continually on our knees in our closet? Certainly we need to walk. Certainly we need to talk to people. What, what, What does he mean? What this verse means is that we are to be in a continual open conversation with the Lord in our hearts. We're to be, you know, and by the way, I'm praying while I'm preaching. Lord, help me. Continually praying. Prayer is to be a way of life. It's like breathing. Now, we all fall short, but yet we must still realize we are commanded to pray continually. It means we are in recognition that we have a relationship with the living God. When we are not praying, we are not recognizing him in our lives. We really aren't. Pray without ceasing. And if you look at the Apostle Paul, just read the beginning of just about every one of his epistles, he is praying all the time. And he also is humbly asking the body to pray for him. Many examples of that. I'll read a a couple here. In Romans chapter 15, verse 30, I'll read this for you. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. That I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea, and my service in Jerusalem might prove acceptable to the saints. He didn't presume anything. He needed God to intervene. Pray for me in that. Ephesians chapter 6, 19, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador, he talks about. Second Thessalonians three eleven. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord might spread and be glorified just as it did also with you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. Paul prayed for them and he asked for prayer. He's a man of prayer. And he, inspired by the Spirit, he says, pray without ceasing. Now, why do we need to pray if God knows what we pray before we pray? He knows that, right? He knows what we're thinking. 
Because it's a real relationship. First of all, it's a real relationship. He may know what we're going to pray, but we relate with him. We relate as a, with a person, with the person of the living God. And within that, it also reveals dependence. Dependence. We're to pray without ceasing. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, because this is a great passage concerning prayer. It's very helpful to us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Verse 6, actually. Very familiar passage, but it's important for us to know. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, that's not nothing, that's everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Everything. We're to continually pray about everything. We're to be in a constant relationship with the Lord, talking to him about everything in our lives. That's a real relationship. If you have a relationship with a spouse and you don't talk to them, you don't have a relationship. Something is in the way. Sin, by the way. And so if we don't talk to the Lord, guess what's in the way? Sin. But if we are arrogant enough to talk to him and not confess our sin, the Lord doesn't hear. Right? We can come before a gracious God who loves you so much, who gave his son for you. He died in our place. Prayer to a God whom we can boldly come before his throne. Receive grace and mercy in time of need. Receive mercy and find grace in time of need. One who can empathize and sympathize with our weaknesses. Having become like us, but yet without sin. He's a good God. And he loves us. Pray all the time without ceasing. Now keep your fingers in Philippians 4 because it gives us some insight into how we pray. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Prayer and supplication. Prayer speaks of prayer in general. Supplication speaks of humility, a humble petition. There's humility. Do we just throw out a laundry list of things to God? No, we humbly come before him. Pray humbly. It reveals dependence on the Lord. If you're not praying, you're not dependent on the Lord. And you're not abiding in him, I guarantee that. We see in uh, 1 Peter, we need to humble ourselves before his mighty hand before we cast our cares. And we do so by casting that. But even in Philippians 4, notice it is unceasing And it also is with thanksgiving. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Now we're going to get to thanksgiving in a minute in our passage. So let's just go past that in Philippians. We're going to see that in a minute. In everything, give thanks. But notice, we are to be making our requests known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. Lord God, I'm concerned about this. Help me see it rightly. Intervene, Lord God, on our behalf. Do what is right, Lord Jesus. Please intervene. Help. Lord, I don't know what to do. Help me understand what your will is. Lord, my heart is so broken over this. Help me see things rightly. Encourage me, Lord, in your word. Lord God, I can't do this. Help me share your word in a manner that is going to glorify you. I can't do it. Lord, thank you that you will do so because you're faithful. Because you're good. Unceasing prayer. Making your requests known to God. You know, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Second Chronicles 16.9 Instead of worrying and whatever it might be, pray unceasingly. Make your requests known in a humble manner in the context, as you will see, of thankfulness. Thankfulness. Lord, I thank you for your love and your faithfulness. Thank you for your son Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you for looking upon my situation. Help me, protect me, I'm powerless. Come to my aid, Lord God, help me understand what to do. Help me respond rightly, Lord God. Help me speak in the right way. Put a guard over my mouth, Lord God. Help me glorify you in these circumstances. Lord, I don't know how to do this. Help me do my work heartily unto you, Lord God. Help me with this situation. There's a real relationship going on continually. So how's your 
prayer life? Do you pray continually? Do you have a running conversation? I'm not trying to tell you to make it up. It's a real relationship. When you are thinking about the things of Christ, you're focused on Him, you're rejoicing in Him, you're going to want to talk to Him. You're going to want to talk to Him. It is innate to a new relationship with Him and a real relationship. Do you have a running conversation? Sharing everything with Him? Start now. Pray without ceasing. It's a command. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. But notice there's a third command, and they are all interrelated, as I mentioned, because we even saw this back in Philippians 4 about thankfulness. He says, in everything, back in our passage, verse 18, 1 Thessalonians 5. I probably said 1 Thessalonians 4 earlier. I meant 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. In everything, give thanks. Now, the implication is this is in the context of prayer rejoicing, isn't it? The implication is that. We are to continually, you all, continually give thanks in everything or in all. In everything. Now, he doesn't say continually give thanks for everything, but in everything. I don't thank God that I sinned. I thank God that he forgave me for my sin. I don't thank God for the wickedness of mankind. I thank God that he's gracious and offers salvation to them. In everything, give thanks. Turn to Psalm 107, because we're going to see the focus of why and how we give thanks, by the way. You see, our thankfulness is directed, and it's, and it's, and it's actually has a context to it. Psalm 107 Verse 1. And this phrase is used often throughout the Psalms. You can see it there. The exhortation for true believers to do something and a reason why. <laughs> he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Why do we thank God? Right here, it's telling me he's good, his loving kindness is everlasting. You're a good and gracious God. Thank you so much. You are good. We give thanks to the Lord, the great I am, the self-existent one. We give thanks to the Lord, the sovereign of the universe. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, and here's why. First of all, for he is good. Primarily, we thank God for his goodness and his goodness manifest. If you've never come to the Lord and experienced the salvation goodness he offers or if you have lost sight of that, you will not be thankful. If you have lost sight of his goodness, as we will see in the context of salvation, you will not be thankful. He's good, and his goodness is primarily revealed in salvation. It is primarily revealed in salvation. The Lord is good. Let me share some passages. Let me share some passages about his goodness. Psalm 25, verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinner in the ways. He's good. Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Taste and see. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do suffer, do lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord, they shall not be in want of any good thing. You seek him, you're going to find him, and he is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. We thank him because he's good. Thank you. What about Psalm 119? Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Verse 67. But now I keep thy word. Thou art good and doest good. You're good and you do good. And that's why I thank you. Teach me thy statutes, the psalmist says. Psalm 119.71. And I love that. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. God afflicts so that you might go the right way, by the way, sometimes. Psalm 119.71. It is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. And don't forget Romans 8.28. The Lord causes all things to work together for good. For good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He's good. 
If you are not thinking of his goodness as revealed in the word, his word abiding in your heart, you're not going to give thanks. You're not. You're thinking of everything else. The badness that's happening to you or whatever it might be, rather than the goodness that he has brought forth and is bringing forth and will bring forth. Psalm 86 speaks of the reality of his goodness and forgiveness together. Psalm 86, 4 verse 5, and 5. Make glad the soul of thy servant. For to thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. He is ready to forgive. And abundant in loving kindness to all that call upon thee. God will forgive. And God enables us to forgive. He's good. And his goodness can be manifest. Look at Exodus chapter 33. Let me just, we'll just briefly look at this for a second. Exodus 33, this is when Moses praised for God to show him his glory. And God's answer is actually quite interesting when he says show his glory. His answer is quite interesting. Exodus 33, verse 18. Then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. Verse 19, Exodus 33. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. I'm going to let my goodness pass for you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Now we can't read everything, but God does hide him in the cleft of the rock. And notice what happens. Chapter 34, verse 5. And the Lord descended in a cloud, cloud, in the cloud and stood there with him and he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord, remember he's going to have all his goodness pass by him, right? The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindnesses for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. His goodness is intricately connected with our forgiveness. And if you are not thinking about that, you are not thinking about his goodness, and you're not going to be thankful. Yet he will not by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children of the grandchildren to the third generation. And Moses made haste to bow low towards the earth and worship. Back in Psalm 107, the verse 1, I'll just read it to you again. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. In a parallel statement, for his, his loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is connected with his forgiveness. We have a God who loves us so much. <laughs> if you're not awake, you just woke up. We have a God who loves us so much. And his love is demonstrated. I read it earlier in Psalm 103, part of it, but... Uh, We are to forget none of his benefits. Who pardons your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not only strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. This is his goodness. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor recorded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. And his loving kindness is associated with this. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. The reason why your transgressions were removed is because God sent his son and he suffered and died on the cross for you and I. And he rose from the dead. He, he died for us. God is good. You will not give thanks to him if the reality of your salvation is not somewhere in that thinking. The reality, we remember what he's done for us. Tremendous reality. The cross and forgiveness are manifestations of his goodness and loving kindness to which we are to give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He's good. So often we don't give thanks to the Lord because all we see is bad. Because we're focusing on whatever it might be. Give thanks to the Lord for he's good. Abide in him. Let his word abide in you. Obey him. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. 
Now, the lack of thankfulness, by the way, if it's not there at all, is an indicator that maybe you do not know the Lord. Romans chapter 1 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. He goes on, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. God deserves our thankfulness. He's a good God. He's good. Be thankful in everything. And by the way, if the word is dwelling richly in you, you're going to be thankful. We see that in Colossians chapter 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns. Psalms and hymns, right? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. God's word dwelling richly, you're going to be thankful. Ephesians 5.17, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for everything. You're just thankful. You're thankful. For he is good, but thankful for everything. Everything. Tremendous reality. I will give... It is good, excuse me, Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to his name, O Most High. Your name, O Most High. So we've seen three interwoven commands. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. This is God's will as we're going to see for our inner life as believers. And that's exactly it. Notice he says that in the next verse. For, the second half of 18... For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is what God's desire is for you. This is his will. You want to know his will. By the way, so often we want to know his will. Is it his will for us to move here? Is it his will for us for this job? Is it his will to marry this woman or this man? Is it his will? Yes, it's good to seek him in that. But start with the things you know that are his will. And obey the things you know first. And usually the rest will come out. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And we saw earlier in chapter 4 what God's will is. It simply means the desire that comes from one's heart or emotions. It's what one desires or determines to be done. It's what someone determines to be done. And so God's will is what he desires and what he has determined. What he desires for you and I, what he has determined, is that we rejoice always, we pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. So he's not saying be sour, grumble, and complain, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you. You know, those who know the Lord and are following him do his will. A lot of passages on it. I don't have time to share it, but uh, Paul speaks of David, or God speaks of David through Paul in Acts 13, 22. I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Will you do all his will? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. Would God say that of you, I've found a person who will do my will? Well, when we fail, it's his will that we confess, isn't it? And it's his will that we rejoice and that we pray without ceasing and give thanks for everything. It's God's will for you. And notice he says, in Christ Jesus. There's a qualification. It's all in the context of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's impossible apart from that. It is impossible, as we started with John 15, it's impossible for you to fulfill God's will unless God is working through you. Christ speaks of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King who would come and die for our sins. Jesus is his human name, Matthew 1.21. You shall name him Jesus, he shall save you, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Lord says, Yeshua. When you have a relationship with Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus. And so, those of you in Christ Jesus, this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. How's his will going in your life? Are you 
obeying these commands in the context of a real relationship, not phony externalism. It's time to start obeying. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. For this is God's will for each and every one of us in Christ Jesus. And if there's anything in the way, it's sin. Confess it. Be restored immediately. Rejoice in your forgiveness. Praise him for it. Praise him for what he's done. You'll know you've really confessed if you're praising him for being forgiven, by the way. You'll know. If you're not praising him for being forgiven, I, I doubt you've, been, you've actually confessed, to be honest with you. Praise him for your forgiveness. Set your mind on the things above. Abide in Jesus, his word in you. Let his love abide in you as you obey, and his joy will be made full in you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for what we've seen today. And Lord, you know our frailty. You know our weaknesses. You know our failures. And yet you are a good God who forgives. You're a great God who saves. And Lord, we thank you that you saved us through your son Jesus. That we have our sins have been taken away as far as the east is the west from the west. That they are no longer accounted to us. We've been forgiven. We've been pardoned. We've been redeemed. And Lord God, I just pray that if there's any sin in the way, that it would be confessed and that we would rejoice uh, with joy inexpressible for what you have done for us and that we would continually pray and that we would give thanks for everything, Lord God. Lord, may this be our inner lives, the part that you see, for you look at the heart. I pray that people would evaluate their lives rightly before you. And that they would simply confess any sin that's in the way. And then turn and rejoice and pray and give thanks. For we know this is your will. Praise in your precious name.